You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. We are continuing our series on the parables of Jesus Christ, and uh, this series is entitled Truth Be Told. And um, we are looking at eight of the many parables of Jesus in this series, and we are now on week four, and... We are going to basically read and uh, read up on the parable of the lost son or uh, what some people call it as the parable of the prodigal son. Okay, so uh, with that, I would like to request everyone to please stand and uh, let's go to Luke chapter 15. <clears throat> Luke chapter 15. As you get your Bibles, I'm also getting mine. I forgot to take it out. Luke chapter 15, we're going to read from verse 11. We're going to be reading quite a bit, so please stay with me. Okay, Luke 15, verse 11. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go up, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. And put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came in and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, 
you killed a fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and, and be glad. For this, your brother, was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the richness of your word. Lord, just this story alone, just by reading it, Lord, just evokes truth and, and it creates revelation already of your great love and mercy for us. And Lord, I pray as we, as we dive into this parable, this narrative, I pray, Father, that you would open our eyes more and more that we may see the greatness of your love for us. Lord, that you, we would truly see that you value us very, very well. And Lord, we thank you. Lord, we commit this, this message to you. We pray that we would respond in a way that we would honor your grace and embrace your mercy and your love. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may take your seats. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> this is a rather long parable. This is actually <clears throat> one of the most famous, if not the most famous, parable of Christ. Okay? And uh, this parable has been um, interpreted in so many ways, uh, you know, allegorically as well. But again, when we talk about parables, we most of the time... There's only one point that is being, being, um, being communicated, okay? Um, we think that just like the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we will talk about in, in, in a few weeks, which is also one of, the, one of the more popular of Jesus' parables, we, think, we assign a lot of things, a lot of uh, meaning to all the different elements, but really those elements serve only to prove or convey one point. And that, it is important that we don't miss that. And this parable, actually, is the third of three parables that Jesus, Jesus shared. You know, one after the other. And this is parable number three. And, and, uh, and here we see, um, let's look at the context, basically. We see here, um, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15... We see the context here, and let's, let's read there. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. How many of you here know what that word means? Because we've done that so many times. Saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. These were the Pharisees and the scribes who grumbled. So he told them this parable. And then Jesus shared three successive parables. The parable of the lost sheep. And then without breaking stride, he shared another parable, uh, the parable of the lost coin. And then after sharing that second parable, he shared yet another parable, a third one, which is what we just read, which is a rather long parable. So here in this, in this context, why did Jesus share these parables? You see, Parable of lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. Is there a pattern? Is there a trend? Of course, there is a theme. Why? And then these parables are three, but they, they have to be taken as one because it, Jesus was conveying a point, a message there. But let's look at the context here. He, here, 
Jesus was, um, you know, preaching the gospel and he was already sharing a lot of parables and people were coming to him. And then the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Now, for us, when we talk about tax collectors, what's the deal with tax collectors? And when we talk about sinners, um, yeah, all of us are sinners, right? So look at the person next to you. Smile. <clears throat> right? <clears throat> you want to see a sinner? <clears throat> so here, uh, tax collectors and sinners. Now, a tax collector is actually marginalized in their culture because they were Jewish people who are, who are seen as traitors because they serve the Roman Empire. They're employees of the Roman Empire. They collect taxes from their people for the Roman Empire. Okay? And so they're seen as traitors. You know, why are you doing this? You're doing your, your, your people a disservice. So they're marginalized. When you are a tax collector, you're looked down upon. But these tax collectors are actually rich. You know, they're, you know they enrich themselves. They help themselves uh, with, with their collections. And they become rich people. All the more they get despised. So they're despised. They're marginalized in society. And then here, sinners, of course. Um, the Jewish culture is centered on their Jewish worship, their worship of, worship of God in the temple. Okay, so they're a very religious, uh, religious society. And then for, for you to associate with sinners, that's a no-no. As a matter of fact, in the book of Psalms and in, in many places in, in, uh, in the Old Testament, you see that people who are pursuing God, they're not supposed to relate with sinners because that's going to defile them. And then... Jesus um, has taken on a form of teaching called, uh, you know, the, the rabbinic culture where he was considered or seen as a rabbi, meaning a teacher. Okay, so some of the, the people who were following him called him rabbi. And so the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law, the leaders of the, the religious elite, you know, they had their suspicions on, uh, with Jesus, but... You know they were considering him as as one as as a rabbi because the people considered him as such. But they had their traditions, they had their culture, and then for a rabbi to associate with tax collectors and sinners—that's a no-no. That's a cultural faux pas, if you will. Okay, now that's why they said. This man receives sinners and eats with them. And here, here's what's offensive to them. When you eat with people, that means you are having fellowship with them. You're, you have shared life with them. Okay, that's why you just don't invite people, but they're very hospitable uh, culture. But when you lie down in table together, when you're lying down like that, or you're reclining like that, you are in a place of intimacy. That means you're, you welcome them into the, your inner circle or some, someone like that. So they're, or they're, you're there, they're getting close. And then they took offense at that and say, why, are you, why is your master eating with sinners and tax collectors? And as you look at all the different uh, passages where, where Jesus encountered the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will see that they ask the same thing in different places. Why does your teacher eat with sinners? 
Why does he hang out with them? Didn't you know the great, uh, the great uh, Chinese proverb? You know, birds are the same feather. Are the same birds? No, are the same. <laughs> birds are the same feather flock together. You know, tell me who your friends are now. So kind of like that wisdom, right? So, so you see, the, uh, the guys he hangs out with, I mean, like, they're kind of dubious. And so this, you know, mars his credibility as a rabbi. And so they're doing that because they've been trying to look for ways to bring Jesus down because people were flocking to him. <clears throat> and so here, now, Jesus was uh, receiving sinners and tax collectors, and he was eating with them. When you eat with people during this time, you just don't go, okay, eat, okay? And then you just stay with your, stay, stick with your own business. No, you relate. How many of you, when you share a meal together, you have a, you have a good time? Unless you're talking about a problem. Unless you're resolving a problem over a meal. That's always hard. You, you, you rarely get to eat your meal. But most of the time when you, when you share a meal together, when you're around the table, you are fellowshipping. You are sharing life. Okay? You're building relationally or building relationships. And that's what Jesus is doing. And then in response to that, Jesus said, let me tell you a parable. Let me tell you a story. Actually, three stories. And so that's what Jesus did. He shared stories. And, <clears throat> and he shared those three parables. And um, in those parables, we see uh, common themes. Okay? And those are these words. You'll find in all three parables, you'll find the, word, the theme of lostness. And the, that which was lost was now found. And then you'll see the theme of repentance. And then rejoicing or celebrating. <clears throat> okay? Lost, found, repentance, then celebration. <clears throat> okay? Consistent in those themes. And notice, that's what Jesus was doing. He was hanging out. He was sharing life with the sinners and the tax collectors. And he was receiving them. He was welcoming them. And the Pharisees, the religious elite, those who are teaching people how to conduct themselves religiously, are disapproving of that. And in their minds, in their minds, they are the vanguards of their religion. And so in their minds, it proves to them that this invalidates everything Jesus teaches because he goes against the traditions of the elders in which we have upheld, coming from the Torah, coming from you know, the holy book of God. <clears throat> but we see here these themes, lost, found, repent, rejoice. Celebrate. Now let's look at lost. What, is, what does lostness mean? You know, here in this, it is, I'm not going to give you a definition, but I'm going to give you what a sense of it. It is not in the sense of being lost geographically. How many of you have been lost geographically? You know, or how many of you are using GPS and you still get lost? <clears throat> right? All right, even if we're guided, right? We, sometimes we get lost. <clears throat> All of us have our lost stories right so so i'm not gonna humor you with with uh with with the mind but i have a lot so <clears throat> but anyway it's not in the sense of being lost geographically or physically but it is when when jesus speaking of lostness here he was speaking more in the sense of of uh, being in a lost and confused 
or clueless state, not knowing where you are morally, not knowing where you are morally, spiritually, not knowing your state. In other words, you don't know where you are as a person. Not physically, not geographically. And you always sing. I'm sorry, I don't know some of the new songs. I'm going to share some of the old, older ones. And you always sing, you know, um, you're looking for your place in this world. And then you remember that you do song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. <clears throat> you know, you're always searching. You know, a weary pilgrim. <clears throat> That's what lostness is. And this lostness is because of sin. Okay? John Wesley talked about sin in the world, and he describes it as complicated wickedness. Compounded sins all throughout the millennia. And the effect of that is compounded wickedness or, or complicated wickedness. Okay? So Jesus <clears throat> talked about the parables and then he was speaking the parables. Who was he speaking the parables to? Who was he sharing the parables with? Was he sharing it to the people? No. He, res he shared those parables in response to the, attitudes, to the attitude of the Pharisees and the scribes. And so he was telling the Pharisees, okay, let me tell you something. I don't know if you ever had somebody say that to you. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Jesus said, let me tell you something. Let me tell you a story. And then he goes on sharing three. The first parable <clears throat> is the parable of the lost sheep. And we see that in verses three through seven, where <clears throat> Jesus talks about a shepherd. Um, you know, he has 100 sheep. <clears throat> and then he, you know, one of his sheep wanders off. And gets lost. And so he leaves the 99 behind and goes and looks for the one sheep. Now, some people would say, that is so irresponsible. Why would you sacrifice the 99 for the one? That's not the point of the story. See, the point of the story, again, you're reading too much into it. Jesus was communicating something here. Okay? He was communicating that. One person that is lost, he goes after that person that means one person to God is valuable enough for him to pursue that person look at that person next to you is that a, a person that person you're looking at God values so much that he is pursuing that person he values you so much <clears throat> okay and then he finds the sheep. And when he finds the lost sheep, he goes back to his fellow shepherds. That's why he was able to leave the 99 because there were other fellow shepherds. Culturally, shepherds, they're not just, you know, they, they shepherd the sheep together. They have different flocks there. And, you know, they hang out as the different sheep, the flock hang out. The shepherds also hang out. Say, hey, you know, of course. And so would you mind looking after my 99 sheep? I'm going to look for the one that got lost. So he, got, he returns, but again, that's not, that has nothing to do with the point. <clears throat> he returns and says, I found the sheep. Let's celebrate. And then they celebrate. Okay? They rejoice and they celebrate. And then Jesus, without breaking stride, goes to the second parable. But before that, here is the point of this, this parable. He said, just so I tell you, 
There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The point here is this. Remember what Jesus was addressing. He was communicating, you have a wrong attitude. You have a wrong mindset. Your mindset causes people to be distanced from God. And you are the one pushing them away from God. But in reality, every person matters to God. Okay, so he was going against the mindset of the Pharisees. And he said, there is rejoicing over in heaven over one sinner who repents. Now look at this. Lostness. How did... How, did God, how does God deal with one's lostness? He saves them and then He gives them the avenue through repentance. When you're lost, what does repentance mean? Repentance means to turn away. To stop and turn away from and turn towards something. Turn to. Turn away from sin and turn to God. A lot of people just stop. I just stopped sinning. They didn't repent. They just stopped, but they're always tempted and they always fall back to sin. What people need to do is you stop, and then you change your mind, turn away from sin, and you turn to God. That's what repentance is. And so that's how God deals with lostness of people. He, gives, he shows them His love so that He can give them the chance to turn to Him. He doesn't force people to come. Okay? Come here. You're mine. Okay? I don't like it. I don't care. You're mine. God doesn't do that. Okay, and then he goes to the second parable, <clears throat> which is similar. In other words, he was emphasizing the point. Now, remember, in the Jewish culture, when you say something once, that's important. When you say something twice, that's, that's really important. But when you say something three times, that means, hey, listen up. I'm saying, don't miss it. Read my lips. Don't miss the point. Okay? And that's what Jesus did. He shared three parables to convey that point. The second parable is the parable of the lost coin. We see that in verses 8, and eight through 10. <clears throat> and here, a woman had uh, like 10 silver coins. And uh, as you look at the culture during that time, a silver coin during their time is what you call a drachma. It's a Greek drachma, which is a day's, a, a day's worth of wages. Okay? How, many, how much do you earn in a day? Don't, sh don't say it. I just want you to think about it. And, okay, if you earn like $800 a day, wow. And that $800 is represented by a silver coin. And you lost that coin, how many of you are going to freak out? What? Stop. Everything's going to stop. And everything, you stop the presses. Stop everything. We need to look for that, that coin. Why? Because it's valuable. How many of you see coins along the road and you don't even bother picking them up? Have you, have you ever done that? You saw coins, but eh. You see, you've determined to yourself that it's not worth picking up. It's not that much value. But if you see a $100 bill, wait, 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 you're, you're in the car. Wait, 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 wait. You stop and you go this. You, you endanger yourself in the highway just to pick up the $100 bill because it has value, Right? And so here, the woman loses her coin and, and she gets a lamp. Today, we use our phones, our flashlights in our phones to look for things. She used the lamp, looked everywhere, 
And then she finds the coin, and she goes to her friends, Rejoice with me, I found the coin. Let's celebrate. And they threw a party. That's how much that coin was worth to the person. Value. Okay? And here Jesus said, the point of that parable is this. It's similar. It's the same, actually. He was repeating his point from the first parable. So I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, he equates the finding of of something that was lost, he equates it to the lostness of a person, and when that person is found, that means that person has gone through repentance. Does this make sense? Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so that, those are the two points of the, parable, the parables. Now, let's look at the parables again. Whom did Jesus use in the parable? He used the shepherd, and he used the woman. <clears throat> now, the Pharisees were marginalizing the tax collectors, and the sinners. Can you think of people who are being marginalized in our society today? We can think of a lot of people, right? <clears throat> and then here Jesus deliberately uses a shepherd and a woman, two members of the marginalized society, mem members of society who are marginalized as well, aside from the tax collectors and the sinners. In other words, okay, you think they're bad? <laughs> okay, here. And so Jesus, you know, put yourselves in the sandals of the Pharisees or their shoes. Think like a Pharisee. Now when you hear Jesus, again, you already have doubts about him. So you're not taking everything that he's saying. You're taking everything he's saying with a grain of salt. And then he tells you a story, two stories of people who are marginalized Guess what's going to run in your mind? Your prejudices will run. Your bias, biases will run in your mind. Okay, so here, Jesus uses two people who are marginalized as well. And he, wait a minute, you're, you're using, I mean, don't talk about them. Talk about the religious elite. Talk about the rich folks who give this much, that's when you talk about that, people will listen to you. Well, here, when Jesus speaks his parables like this, he doesn't care about what's popular. He goes for the hearts of his audience. And he speaks in ways that relate to them, that strike a chord in them. That's why his message is effective. That's why he can take, he can, you know, he can, people flock to him. Unlike the Pharisees, you know, people don't flock to them. <clears throat> so <clears throat> the point, again, so let me rephrase the points of the two parables and make it into one. Basically, God values, quote, unquote, lost people. <clears throat> and to Jesus, he was asked at another, I think, in, uh, I, think, I think it was in... Mark or Luke, somewhere else, uh, somewhere else in Luke, I think. And then he was asked, um, why do you eat with sinners? And he goes, it is not the healthy that doctors go to, but to the sick. I came to seek and to save sinners, people you consider lost. 
I came to seek and save them. And usually these are people who are marginalized. But again, it's not just the marginalized people. But God has a special heart for those who are marginalized. The thing is, sin actually has marginalized all of us. We all need his message. And God values lost people. In other words, God values all of us. Each of us. We can end there, right? But Jesus continues on. I mean, like, he, ne- he hammered down the, p- the point. But in his mind, there's, a, there's, a, there's like a twist. You know, you know a good story when there's a twist in the end, right? <clears throat> so here he t- tells, retells the same parable but in a different setting, but he adds a new element to it. This time, he puts an element Okay, for the first two parables, the marginalized people were able to relate or identify with, hey, I'm that woman. Hey, I'm that shepherd. Or I'm that lost coin. I'm that lost sheep. I'm telling you right now, I'm, I'm, I'm that dumb. They, how many of you sometimes when you watch movies, you, you're able to relate? So you're able to relate with, with stories, right? And... Uh, just right now, by saying this, how many of you can think of movies where you identified with either the characters or some of the elements in the story or the situations in those stories? How many of you experienced that? That's why I, like, I love watching movies or reading stories. Okay, I have so many, but I want to share this one. How many of you have seen this movie? <coughs> this movie. <coughs> have you seen this? Part two. I've seen part one. I've seen part two. And uh, <clears throat> Blanche and I, we were, we, were, uh, we were in Lake Tahoe, the whole family, and, uh, and uh, we said, let's have a date. And the boy said, yeah, Mom, Dad, go on a date. You think they were, oh, thank you so much. You're so considerate. They just want to have undisturbed time for them to play. <laughs> so, <laughs> Luigi's laughing right there. <clears throat> go ahead, go on a date. So we, we went on a date. We went on a movie, uh, to a movie place. In Lake Tahoe. And then we saw it. And I said, hey, have you seen my big fat Greek wedding, the first one? No, I haven't even heard of it. What? That is hilarious. This is one of the best movies ever. And then, I, have, I haven't seen this. Let's see this. Okay, so, you know, the loving wife, she just, okay, let's just. So we saw it. And uh, basically, <clears throat> this is the daughter who was going off to college. Okay, the daughter of those two. And when you talk about Greek culture, you're not just marrying a person, you're marrying that person's family as well. Okay, so that's why you have all those people there. How many, how many of you have seen this? Have you seen, have you seen this movie? <clears throat> so, now I bet you some of you will be looking at Netflix or Amazon. I want to see this later. So, anyway, <clears throat> this girl is, was going to college, and so she's uh, thinking about where she was going, and everybody's like, you know... Uh, no, stay here in Chicago. So that's why they were, they were there. This is Northwestern University. So she was checking this out in the school. And then all of them came. All of them arrived there to support. And, you know, you go take this, you go take that. And she was so embarrassed. And all, all the other students were looking at her like, what a weird family. But to them, this is family, you know. So she was looking at that look of horror in her face when they came in. And uh, these are her parents. And they actually wanted to go with her. Can we go there? And the dad says, no. And then the entire family arrives. 
the whole situation of her going to college, it was, I was laughing. And I was laughing sometimes. And I looked at Blanche, and she was crying. She's like, why are you crying? <laughs> because in a few years, it's going to be Joshua like that. And then after that, it's Luigi. And then after that, it's Miguel. It's like, Miguel, she, Miguel. <laughs> He's not even, he's not even um, grade five yet. <clears throat> You're thinking of college already, but you know. So she was emotional because she identified with the situation. And he's, she said, it's going to be just, you know, before you know it, it's, it's going to happen to us. We're going to be like those two. We're going to be like the, those two here, struggling. And said, so not if we handle it properly and with God's grace. But the time is about, about there. My, my eldest, our eldest is about to graduate. He's about to finish his uh, senior year in high school. So, okay? So, so Blanche was able to relate with that, to identify with that. And that's the beauty of, of these stories. You're able to identify with it. Jesus puts in an element in, the, in his parable where another group of people were, was able to identify themselves in that story. <clears throat> okay? You want to know, you know what it is? No, we'll put the twist at the end. Okay, so, <clears throat> so here, the characters in this parable of the lost son, as we, can, as we read, this is what we read a while ago, the characters are what we know as the prodigal son. When you say the word prodigal, what does it mean? Wayward? What else? You think it was wayward? Actually, the word prodigal literally means excessive. So the son was prodigal in the sense that he was excessive in his wild living. But if you notice it, the father was also a prodigal in the way he loved his sons. So we see here the prodigal son, the loving father, and then the elder brother or the older brother. <coughs> okay, so let's look at the prodigal son first. We all know, we read the story, <coughs> okay? He basically asked for inher his inheritance. Now, that was an affront to the father in their culture because you don't ask for your inheritance. You receive your inheritance after, your, after the patriarch dies, after your father dies or passes away. You don't ask for it. That is presumptive, so, so presumptuous of you to do that. And that is an affront to the father. And culturally, when, when a son does that to the father, the culture, especially in their culture, they would say, do something about your son. And then the father would do something about the son, disciplining the son for that. But the father didn't do it. He actually gave in to his son's wish. And now take note, this is the, the younger son. There are, there are only two sons. And in Jewish culture, when you give your inheritance, you give a double portion to your to your oldest son. In other words, if you have two sons, you divide your inheritance into three so that two portions can go to the firstborn and then the, the other portion can be divided among the rest. In this case, the last son gets one-third of the inheritance. So, so basically, when he did this, so the father divided the inheritance already, gave it to the son. So guess... Guess who the two thirds who owns the two thirds now? It's the older son. 
but the, but the father has not died yet, and the, the older son has not asked for his inheritance. But that was, he was entitled to that. So now this old, the young son goes off to another country, spends his money in wild living with prostitutes and all. And here's the thing. He squandered his inheritance. He squandered his wealth. It's like, and he was scared. It's like what uh, Janine was saying, saying a while ago. I mean, you're going to be careful not to spend everything. Right? He spent everything. And <laughs> to top it all off, he didn't have any money. And then a famine happened at the time that he was broke. And so I'm like, Wow. Some people call that Murphy's, refer to that as Murphy's Law. When everything bad will happen, it will happen. It's like yesterday. My wife was, was uh, fr coming from Nashville, so we had to do, mis I was Mr. Mom for three days. So, but I, I didn't do, I would, I would say I didn't do a good job as my wife would, so nobody could replace her. And then I have to prepare for the message, and then there's a, and then there's a, I have some more assignments to to. For, for my masters to you know to put in, and then we also have to, I have to also had to review my lesson for leadership 113 later on, and had to cook for the boys, and then our kitchen sink begins to drip all over. I mean, like it was like a fountain right there. So I was like, okay, life happens. That's really what life is like. So that's, ha that's what happened to him. And so he squandered. He First of all, he disrespected his father. Secondly, he squandered his inheritance. And then when he lost his inheritance, he was desperate. Everything was against him to the point that he, was, he hired himself to one who herded pigs. Now, again, you can tell that's not in, in Israel because it, the, the Jewish people do not herd pigs. Pigs were considered unclean for them. And for him to be in the, in the pigsty and longing to eat what the pigs were eating. That was bad. And then he realized, he came to his senses. It's a figurative way of saying he repented. <clears throat> he said, my father, my father's servants have better, are faring better than I am. So he goes back to his father, feeling he came to his senses, and then he feels unworthy, but he was lost in his rebellion. Okay? And you see, here, people, a group of people identify with, with this young prodigal. Okay? It's those lost people. I'm like that. I'm like that guy. I squandered everything. I made bad decisions. And I'm at the place now where I think I need God in my life. So people were able to identify, the marginalized were identifying with this person here. And then comes the story, so he returns to his father, wanting to be just a servant, not to be accepted as a son, because he's, he's ashamed of being a son. So we look at the father now. The father was looking for him, basically expecting him to return. And when he saw him from afar, the father ran to him, embraced him, kissed him, gave him, gave him a, a, a robe, best robe. He gave him a signet ring, which means you're part of this family again. 
you are reinstated in this family. You are, you know, reinstated in your place in this family. And then you sandals. Okay, so he was, he, he was welcomed back with open arms. And he was reestablished again as a son. The father was excessive in his grace and in his love for his son. How many of us fathers would say when you see your wayward son come back? Now you have the guts to return? After what you did to me? Hmm. You learned your lesson well. You squandered everything. There's no, nothing here for you anymore, buddy. A lot of people would think that. Some of you are thinking that. But not this father. Who do you think this father represented? Okay. This father represented God. And here's what happened. When, when that undeserving son came back and he came, please don't accept me as a son, as a servant. How many of us are like that with God? Lord, I'm not that worthy, but please let me in your house. But I'm not worthy. I'm okay here. Right? <clears throat> False humility. But God says, no. Come here. Let me throw a party. Here's what the father did. He threw a party for his return son. He was lost. He was found. There was signs of repentance, even though it was, you know, it was not... Uh, understanding of repentance there was a turning around and then there was he was received back and there was a party celebration you see the theme <clears throat> this loving father represented God the father obviously and let's look at the last one as we wind down here <clears throat> the elder brother so he was coming from the field <clears throat> and when he came home from his business in the field, he was hearing celebration. He was hearing music. And he could surmise that people are celebrating and dancing and, and feasting, drinking and being happy, being merry. What's going on? He calls one of his servants. Oh, your father has killed the fattened calf, the one that they all, they've been uh, reserving for such a, an event like this. He killed it because your brother has returned from his way, wayward ways safe and sound. And then he got angry. Here's his response. He was angry. And, and he, was, he was angry. He refused to be in the party. He refused to celebrate. He refused to take part in what the father was doing with the wayward son. With the lost son who was now found. Can you see what Jesus is doing here? Who is this elder brother representing? It's the, the religious elite. Those who would bring judgment upon people. Those who think that they are okay with God when in fact their hearts are far away from God. He was angry. He refused to join the party. Why? Because he couldn't accept the father's mercy for his lost brother. Mercy for brother. For, I'm sorry, for the lost brother. Forgot to type that in. And so what happened? Because of this, he stayed there. I'm not going in there. He threw a tantrum. He threw a fit. 
I mean, a grown man throwing a fit. Can you, have you seen that? This one? <laughs> All of you are... T- <laughs> okay. Throwing a fit. A grown man throwing a fit. No, I'm not. No! No, I'm not going to I'm not going to You come out to me. So he disrespected his father by doing that. Now, when, a fa- when the father th- th- threw that party, I would think that he invited some of the, his neighbors, right? It's a close community. And then for a son to do that in public, he basically disrespected his father. He was no different from his younger brother, wasn't he? And he felt that his father was unfair. This son of yours. How many of you say that? Parents, when your children is misbehaving, you go to your, to your spouse, look at your son. Suddenly it's your son, not our son, right? This son of yours, he squanders his wealth. He, has not, he, is, he did not help us. He did not help you. He has disrespected you. He's given you a bad name. He's humiliated you in, in front of our community. And then you do this? Unfair. And I've been slaving for you. I've not disobeyed you. I've been doing all these things for you. And you've not even given me the small goat to celebrate with my friends. Well, all he needed to do was ask, right? But many people are so religious. They're so caught up with what they ought to do. And that's what religion does. Here's what you ought to do instead of concentrating on the relationship. He felt his father was unfair. And this blinded him to the father's blessing. And then what did the father say to him? Son, all I have is yours. If you wanted that, you could have any time. What did Jesus say? You have not because you ask not. He was blind. He didn't see that he was blessed. He was lost. If his brother was lost in his rebellion, he was lost in his religiosity. And that's, isn't that the nature of humanity? Either you're rebellious or you're religious. Both end, ends of the spectrum of the pendulum swing are actually unrighteous. Who do you think the elder brother represented? The religious elite. So when Jesus was speaking this, he didn't have to say, this is, no, remember, this is you, okay? He didn't say that. When he was telling the story, what do you think the religious leaders were feeling? I'm pretty sure some of you, and they say, are you talking about me? Are you talking about me? They knew it. They understood that. You see, Jesus is a master, isn't he? He tied them in, okay? You see, first two points. God values lost people. And he celebrates when people are, lost people are found. And you stay out there, missing out on all this? Here's the father's response. He said, son, come in. Join us. So see, the father was still expre- you know, expressing his love for his religious son. 
So in other words, he loved both sons. He loved the rebellious and he loved the religious. It's just a matter of coming to, to him. And he was inviting, he was appealing to this religious son who still wouldn't want to come in. The father's response, instead of hard discipline, he gave extravagant, unconditional love to the lost brother and to the religious brother. And let me tell you this. If you're about religion and you can't celebrate when people repent, especially when you, someone you think is a sinner, someone who's crossed you so many times, that person's not going to get saved. And then God saves him. Oh, unfair, Lord. I've enslaved you. And then you, God bless Why do you bless him? And I, I haven't rebelled. God is saying, just come in. This is your house too. But you're so blinded by your religion. You're so blinded by what you think. You're baking me an apple pie. I don't like apple pie. I'll tell you what I like, but I can't tell you if you don't come to me, if you don't listen to me. Many of us are, God is speaking directly to us already, but we have those noise-canceling headphones, and we're listening only to the tune that we like, thinking that that is what God wants. That's what religion is. And we miss the party. Let me tell you this, at the end of all, at the end of days, there's going to be an eternal celebration. Do you want to miss that party? For all eternity? The Father's response represented the Father heart of God. That's how God is. So just how valuable are we before God? The answer is this. The cross of Christ declared to all humanity that we are that valuable. He died in our place. He, gave, he didn't have to, but he did. That's how valuable. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. Let me conclude with this one. Let's all stand. <clears throat> God values, seeks, and saves lost people. And when we say lost, it's all people. Everyone. We are all lost. Either in our religion, in our rebellion. Maybe we're lost in ourselves. We're so self-absorbed that we self-destruct. We are lost. It only takes a revelation of God. God reveals Himself through to us through Jesus Christ, His Son. God values, seeks, and saves lost people. The question now is, do we value and seek out lost people in the same manner if we claim to love God? church are we going to respond like the older brother are we going to be like the Pharisees we're pharisaical we're, we think we're high and mighty and we're okay spiritually we don't need you 
or are we going to be like our father who was extravagant in his love who was unconditional with his love didn't matter if you're rich or poor if you're healthy or you have you're sick it didn't matter if you had educational attainment or not with God it does not matter it doesn't matter if you're male or female rich or poor doesn't matter if you're confused what you are doesn't matter doesn't matter if you have money or not we're all lost apart from Christ but he gives us a way by faith in Christ we can turn away from our lostness from our sin and turn to God when we do so then our new state is that we are now found God says, let's celebrate. What about the world out there? Are we just going to celebrate and let them burn? Or are we going to reach out to them with the same heart of God to love them unconditionally? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your amazing ability communicate truth because you are truth and Lord today as we've seen Lord the point of this parable is that you value people so much that you seek them and you save them <clears throat> you don't force them but you let them know that you're pursuing them Father I pray that we respond just like you First of all, I'd like to pray. If you are, if you can identify, <clears throat> if you can identify with the, with the Pharisees, you're religious, you're judgmental, you're pharisaical. You think you know everything because you've gone to, you've gone, you've had little training. You think you, you're better than everybody. Jesus loves you enough to point out your mistake and tell you, Turn away, friend. Repent. If that's you, what you need to do today is repent of your religiosity. It's not what you do for Jesus that matters. It's, it's how you are, how you know Him, how you're connected to Him. Some of you could identify with those lost people with a younger brother I say yeah that's me I've, I've been wayward but I think I need to go back to my father maybe it's you need to go back to your father for the first time or maybe for the nth time see God's love is extravagant but the reality is God's love will also transform you that once you really taste of God's love you will never want to sin again You'll never want to turn away from Him. So if that's you, I want you to say, Lord, give me a revelation of your great love and mercy so that I will not turn away from you. Some of you can identify with the Father. Your heart beats for those who are out there. And you're saying, Lord, let your heartbeat become my heartbeat. 
there are many of us here like that. Here we are, Lord. Send us. Send us to this dying world so that they can hear your message of love and hope. Father, as we identify with those different elements, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Those who need to repent, I pray that they would repent even now. Why don't you take this moment to repent? If you need to repent, just do this the next few moments. Those of you who feel you're lost, how do you respond? You respond by coming to Christ, saying, I need you, Jesus. There's no life apart from you. You have the words of eternal life. I come to you now. That's what you need to do. You need to come to Jesus and come to him under his terms and come under his lordship. He wants to save you. Do that. At the end of the service, we will have victory group leaders there by that aisle. Come to them, and they can tell you the next steps. How you can develop, how can you receive God's free gift of eternal life. And for those of you who feel the burden of God's heartbeat, we welcome that. And I pray that all of us would have that. Father, right now, help us to respond to you according to your grace so that we will be put in our right place. Just like you placed that robe and that signet ring and then that, those sandals and you threw a party and you reestablished that, that wayward son of yours into your family. Lord, reestablish all of us into your family and into your purpose that we would be your church as we go out there. That we would not have this pharisaical attitude but we are holier than, than others. But Lord, here we are as your hands and feet, expressing your love to, your, to the people out there, proclaiming and demonstrating your love and the power of your kingdom. Use us, Lord. And today, help us to respond where we are, according to our need. Thank you for coming to us. You sought us out whether we were rebellious or religious, you sought us out. And today we respond. We pray this right now, that you would move mightily, that your spirit move in our midst in a mighty and powerful way, that we will respond according to your grace in a way that will glorify you and reveal you to the world. Thank you, Lord.